0: Hi everyone, and welcome to This Much I Know, the Seedcamp podcast with me, your host, Carlos Espinal, bringing you the inside story from founders, investors, and leading tech voices. Tune in to hear from the people who've built businesses and products, scaled globally, failed fantastically, and learned massively. Today we have a very special guest, very different, in fact, from our traditional set of guests, because not only is he an entrepreneur, and we'll talk about his company in a second, but he's also an actor, producer, and director. Today we have Joe Levitt, <laughs> Joe Gordon Levitt. I always get your name wrong. Apologies about
1: that. It's, it's, it's a tough name, actually. Ah, oh,
0: man! You know, I have a long name too. I have one of these four named Latin American names. But anyway, Joe Gordon Levitt <laughs> is joining us today to talk about his company, uh, Hit Record, and one of the things that we like to talk about is the early life of the founder before the company. But we also want to talk a little bit about, in his case, his acting career. You know, one of the things that's really interesting is that he's played some characters that I really love. He's He is the Cobra Commander. Um, he is also in The Dark Knight, and he's been in the Cave and hopefully he'll give us some insight into that part of the world. He's been in Inception, and he's been, you know, the, the director of his, own, uh, of his own movie. You know, he's been a really great piece on Don John. So he's just done about everything. And I think part of that is the foundation of what drives him in helping others create. So maybe, Joe, we can start off with your early career. I understand that just like every other successful entrepreneur, you dropped out of college. But walk us through kind of what you were doing and what was that first thing you did after you dropped out?
1: Sure. Well, um, so if we want to talk early career, we would really go back to me being six years old. And I'll, I'll, you know, to make a long story short, I worked as, as an actor from age like six to 19. And then I, I wanted to quit for a while, um, just to see sort of what else I might do. Cause I, I loved acting and I'd always loved it, but you know, my friends were heading off to college and approaching the question of, okay, what am I going to do with my life? And I think I, I sort of wanted that for myself. I wanted to not know, I wanted that kind of blue sky. And, um, uh, so I went to college in New York city. at uh, at Columbia and had a really good time there, met some really cool people, took some some cool classes. But yeah, I I did drop out about uh, about two and a half years in. And um, the moment really that made me drop out was when I got my first copy of Final Cut Pro, which is video editing software, because I'd been making little videos and stuff with like the family, you know, camcorder ever since I was a little kid. But editing those videos was something I'd always wished I could do. But you, you couldn't do, you know, back when I was a kid in the, in the 80s and 90s. You know, kids today, it, it would have blown my mind back when I was a kid to have the, the, the ease of editing that you have now. You can just, you know, download iMovie on your phone and cut video just super simply. And it makes all the difference in the world when you're trying to make a video, if you can edit it or you can't edit it. So back in like 2002, it was the first time I ever bought an Apple computer. I'd would i been raised on PCs and, uh, and I got it so that I could get Final Cut Pro and was finally able to edit the videos that I shot and fell so in love with editing that, you know, it came down to me saying, you know, I could spend time writing this paper for school or I could be editing. And uh, that's when I dropped out. <laughs>
0: But it's interesting that, you know, I didn't know this part sort of of, of that early passion towards uh, creation and production. And it doesn't seem to me that it would be an obvious transition from that to being the subject of video editing and being an actor. How did how did you park that? Because you could very easily have started your career down that path and just stayed down that sort of path. Why the acting?
1: Well, the acting was also from from just an early, early age. You know, when I was like four years old or something, I was in a kid's choir. And uh, and then the music teacher who taught the choir started doing like musical theater, like little kind of kids community musical theater. And, you know, Peter Pan and Guys and Dolls and Grease and things like that, you know, played by little five and six and seven year olds. And uh, I just always really loved doing it. And then I just so happened to be born and raised in Los Angeles, uh, in a suburb of Los Angeles, the San Fernando Valley. We call it the valley <laughs> down in L.A. The valley means the San Fernando Valley. Uh, as I've gotten to know people in the tech industry, I've come to know that if you say the valley to them, they mean Silicon Valley. Yeah. They, mean, they mean Mountain View. But, um, but where I'm from, the valley doesn't mean Mountain View. It means uh, the 818 area code, San Fernando Valley. Uh, which is where I was born and raised, and and it's sort of a suburb of LA, and it's not too far from the auditions that you that everyone goes on in LA to you know be in commercials and TV and movies and stuff like that. And um, so some of the kids that that were in my like musical theater kids productions, they did those auditions, and so their mom asked my mom if I wanted to do it, and I remember uh, pretty vividly actually my mom asking me. I remember being in the kitchen. Uh, and if I recall, we were, were like unpacking groceries or something like that. And I remember her saying, you know how you you like to do the plays in, in Miss Karen's class? Um, well, some, some kids, you know, y- you've seen the kids that act in TV shows and commercials and things like that. And would you want to try doing that? And I was like, yeah, yeah, I want to try doing that. And uh, the cool thing that I think is really important to point out is that my mom, both my mom and my dad, they never pressured me to do it at all. That's sort of a cliche, but it's a cliche for a reason. It's It really does happen quite a lot with kids in show business is you get uh, parents who sort of pressure their kids to do it. and And look, I don't... <laughs> I'm, I'm a parent my, myself now and I've, I've learned not to judge anybody's parenting choices because we all kind of have our own way of doing it and everyone has their own specific circumstances that lead them to do it that way. But I'm personally grateful that my parents never pressured me. They never said I had to do it. They always said, if you enjoy it, then we'll support you and help you do it. And as soon as you don't want to do it anymore, then you can stop. And one thing just led to another. Yeah, so I started going on auditions and and I just really really liked it and got some parts and I remember the first job I ever did, I was 6 and I was doing a I was acting in a commercial for um like a a local unknown brand of peanut butter and it took all day and we were in sort of like 1920s costumes and it was supposed to be raining in the commercial so it wasn't necessarily the most comfortable sort of situation and my mom tells the story that, that she was sure I was going to want to quit after spending this whole day. And we walked out of the soundstage at the end of the day. And I said, whoa, it's nighttime? I didn't even know because the time had passed so quick because I just loved it. I loved being on a set. I loved seeing all the different jobs that all these different people did and how it came together. And I loved being part of it. I loved you know, performing my little part. And, um,
0: well, it sounds like you were paying attention about all those parts. And I, and um, a little bit later, we're going to be talking about parts that are part of, you know, hit record. But mm-hmm. maybe, maybe you can walk us through, you know, through the evolution of your sort of acting career to the highlights and the lowlights, because I'm sure there's characters that you were like, oh my goodness, is so cool. I was... I was in the Batcave. Maybe, maybe I'm projecting here, but like, was there anyone that it was the highlight and then the ones that you were like, Oh my goodness, I cannot believe, not in terms of being underpaid or being a crap product that you had to promote, but rather where you're like, you know, actually perhaps this is something that a lot of producers or a lot of content creators have to make compromises on. And maybe, maybe you're like,
1: eh. Uh, Yeah. I mean, well, I've been really fortunate and gotten to work with some, some incredible people I look up to a lot. You mentioned the Batcave that, that filmmaker, Christopher Nolan, who made uh, the Dark Knight trilogy, he also made Inception and so many great movies, Memento, The Prestige. He's got a movie coming out this summer. I'm really excited to see Dunkirk. Uh, his last one, Interstellar, I really loved. So getting to work with him was uh, was definitely a highlight, um, watching him do his work. He has a very unique approach to um, how he makes movies, uh, which I really admire. Uh, he it's funny because even though he makes these movies that are huge and very popular and commercially successful, he honestly, and I believe him when he says this, he's like, I I don't think about what anybody else wants to see. I just make a movie that I want to see. That's a big part of what makes his movies stand out. They have that unique quality. They don't pander uh, to the lowest common denominator. They're they're smart and they're demanding and because he's a smart guy and, and and I think audiences feel that they feel something sincere about his films and that's why they they love them um, uh, so yeah working with him is really a highlight as far as low lights I mean you know <laughs> I uh, it's funny I, I I would never say anything disparaging about anything I've done because you know lots of other people worked on that and I wouldn't I, it, I don't think it would be right to say anything
0: well maybe maybe I can rephrase the question not as a low light in terms of you regret it but more so of like as a character building experience where like at the time you're like this is so difficult but now you look at it and you say you know that was a low light at the time but it turns out it was like a mixed blessing and now I'm like so happy it happened
1: well you know one way to answer that question actually I, I think about this sometimes is is you know to be honest my least favorite part of the job is going out and promoting the movies I love making the movies, Um, but then once the movies are done and it's time to sort of go promote them and do press and get your picture taken and do interviews and not interviews like this, you know, these, these kinds of interviews where you get to sit down and actually have a conversation with somebody I I find interesting and and stimulating, but the vast majority of the interviews that I have to do when I, when I promote movies don't involve sitting down and having a, an in-depth conversation with someone They're they're like three to five minutes long. And you have to base, you're you just turn into a salesman, really. And uh, it can be sort of demeaning. <laughs> it can be pretty irritating. I get irritated with myself. You have to kind of say the same thing over and over and over again. And it's not fun. <laughs> but uh, to your point, I actually think that now looking back, having done this for decades, I mean, I started doing press for movies when I was like 12 and I'm, I'm 36 now. I actually think that all of that time spent doing that basically like I said what amounts to sales has actually really helped me in in my ability to like have a good meeting, you know, sit down across from somebody and make myself clear, have an agenda and and communicate that agenda uh, and uh you know, certainly as as I've gotten into entrepreneurship, I guess, and and doing hit record, I find oftentimes when it's either us, you know, trying to secure a a client or, uh, you know, just sort of leading, you know, there's a staff of 20 people or something that sort of the drilling over and over again of sitting in rooms and kind of having an agenda to sell a movie and doing it with my words, it's probably been good practice for me. Yeah,
0: Um, it's been good practice, maybe perhaps to help people today that are coming up with new things to understand the process of Maybe the last bit, which is promotion. But maybe one thing you could do for us, because, I mean, including myself, I'm not that familiar with everything that goes into producing something. Some of the things that, uh, some of the projects that come out of Hit Record, for example, some of the ones that have even won you awards. Maybe you can walk us through, maybe if you want to use Don John as an example, of all the elements that make up a production.
1: Sure. Well, um, so uh, producing a, a movie or a TV show or something in, I guess, in Hollywood, you could say. Uh, There's a pretty pretty well-established convention of how how you do it, and that's pretty different than how we do it on hit record. You know, the way that you would do a traditional production is there's an idea, that idea becomes a script, you know, that script goes into pre-production, and then you actually shoot it, and then there's post-production, and then there's distribution. And at every turn, you're hiring professionals, paying them a salary to do a very... Um, there's a there's a sort of a fixed roster of all the different jobs like on a set it's very finite it's it's very predefined you know you have and it's very hierarchical it's almost like the military under the director you have the cinematographer who's in charge of all things camera and lights and then you have the gaffer and the best boy grip and the grips and the electricians underneath them and then in the area there's the production design who's in charge of everything that you kind of see other than the actors, all the sets, all the props and everything. And under the production designer, you have the art director and the set decorators and the prop department and the costume department, et cetera, et cetera. It's all very, um, it's all very sort of set in stone and you, you, there's these slots and you hire people to fill those slots and everybody knows how to do their job. Um, whereas on hit record, um, you know, the way we do things is is not by hiring professionals to do a pre-established job. It's, you know, this kind of open, collaborative, creative process driven by people just kind of having fun, remixing each other, making stuff and posting it. And um, one thing leads to another and uh, good art comes out. Certainly, uh, you know, and there's there's lots of different dynamics that we could talk about. You know, it doesn't it doesn't just kind of happen magically out of anarchy. There's there's always got to be some leadership. And that leadership either comes uh, from me or someone else in my office or the leadership can come from other people in the community um, that have joined hit record. But uh, I don't think much creativity comes. There's not much fruitful collaboration without leadership. And, and that goes for both conventional Hollywood production as well as our sort of unconventional uh, open collaborative style that we do on hit record,
0: maybe on on that topic of leadership and we 'll we'll touch upon it in a couple of ways, but um, first, both of them dumb like non non movie industry person first of all, what is pre production just out of curiosity because I, I heard the term before, but i don 't know what it means, and the second one is on the leadership side of things, is the director the person who is the leader across the entire scope of everything from script to distribution, or is there somebody else? Is that the producer?
1: Okay, so two questions. Pre-production is basically where you're, um, you're getting ready to actually shoot. So you probably, you have a script, you're maybe still tweaking the script, but the script is pretty set. You're scouting your locations, you're making your hires, uh, your casting, you're casting, you're choosing your actors, um, building the sets, planning your shots, fitting the costumes—all that stuff, everything you need to do to get ready—happens yeah. in pre-production. Okay. Um, as far as who's the leader, well, there's a little bit of a case-by-case basis. In traditional Hollywood, going back to you know the early 20th century, the director was not the leader. The, the producer and/or the studio was. Really, the leader is whoever's financing it, and the director was someone hired to kind of facilitate uh, and make sure that everything kind of worked nuts and bolts-wise, as far as you know, making all the scenes, making all the all the filmmaking work. Around the middle of the 20th century, in the in the sort of 60s, I guess, a new sort of idea about filmmaking kind of emerged, mostly out of France, and then spread into Hollywood in the 70s that's often called auteur filmmaking where they sort of treat it less like a commodity and more like an art. Um, because film for the first number of decades of its existence was not considered an art at all. It was just, it was like, uh, the circus or, um, you know, it's just a business like, you know, in penny arcades or whatever. Um, but yeah, I think a couple generations later, People, you know, a couple of generations of people grow up seeing movies, and uh, they start thinking of it as an art form, and uh, and so that's when more power shifted to the director um, as kind of artist and writer director, and and then producers um, would would sort of take positions of like this writer director has a vision a work of art in his or her mind, and I, the producer, I'm going to facilitate that. Um, and, uh, and today, both exist, uh, all along the spectrum. And really, every production is, is its own unique beast.
0: So maybe that's a good sort of starting point for you to, now that you've sort of laid the foundation for us to sort of understand these relationships. You know, I've had the privilege of playing with, with, the, with your product firsthand and seeing a lot of the great things that, that you guys are doing, meet some of your team that are going through the process of that leadership internally within the community. But maybe you can walk us through how it is that you manage and which one of those two styles of directing or producing you optimize for and what is what is the idea the general idea behind success in 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 the company
1: yeah um well uh that's a good question i mean again the the way that we do it on hit record is is so different from from the way that Hollywood productions are are made um we We definitely really emphasize creativity uh, and, and I think people come. our site or they download our app because it's pretty universal i think that all of us have a certain desire to express ourselves um to tell stories to draw or make music or whatever it is your outlet for creativity and of course some people um practice that more than others and some people feel more confident creatively than others um but i think we all have it to some degree and uh and the thing is elsewhere on the internet that that urge to be creative, I think, in many ways, is sort of conflated with the urge to be famous, um, and it's, it's very much about sort of you go on Instagram or Snapchat or YouTube or whatever, and it's about sort of posting your video and saying like, hey, world, look at me, and sort of seeing how much attention you can get, whereas on Hit Record, what we really emphasize is collaboration, less about, hey, world, look at me, more like, hey, everybody, what can we do if we work together? Um, so our, our, our site and our, our app are, are, are sort of aimed at trying to facilitate that collaboration. People are, are encouraged to build off of one another. Um, like if, if you see a video, uh, on the site, it's not that you can just watch it and maybe leave a comment or a thumbs up. You can download it and re-edit it and, and Then upload your version and and cite the original as as a resource. So you kind of get this family tree of, of remix um, of people sort of building off one another and, and working together that way and um, That's uh, it's it's again. It's pretty different from uh, Hollywood
0: and how did you know you you, you have um, a team and you, you have a, a group of people who are both in terms of Uh, community management helping the community curate something that has produced awards and maybe you can talk about the the award that you won and how that happened but also another part of the team that is helping with operations including your co-founder jared so maybe you can walk us through you know both the relationship that you have and how you met jared but also in how you jared and the rest of your team help that and and sort of promote that content to the quality level that requires to win awards
1: sure uh yeah well i'll i'll maybe i'll i'll start uh where hit record started because it, um, the thing is it, it wasn't a startup as I think most startups are. <laughs> um, hit record go, going back to the, the time of my life where I was talking about where I first started editing video. At that time I dropped out of school and I wanted to get back into acting and making movies and stuff. Um, but I couldn't get a job and that was really painful because I'd spent my whole childhood working and, and I spent like then a whole year trying to get back into it and and just getting rejected and um and i realized at that point all right so i have to take responsibility for my own creative outlet here i can't just wait around for someone else to give me a part uh i want to be able to make things um because i want to make them and uh Hit record was just this little turn of phrase I sort of came up with to just sort of to find inspiration to hit the record button to me became this kind of like metaphor to, to do it to self motivate. Um, and I started making these little short films and writing stories and songs and stuff. And and my brother helped me set up a website to share some of that stuff. And we called it hitrecord.org. org. And this is this is a while back. This is like 2005. So it was uh, so it was. It was right before it became common to, like, post things on YouTube or or Vimeo or whatever. Um, Or it was just as that was starting. And uh, we never, at that point, we had not at all conceived of it as any kind of production company, collaborative or not. Uh, We never thought of making a TV show out of it or anything like that. But gradually, a community started to form on this little message board that we had put up. And what we noticed was that some of the people on the message board wanted to just come and check out the little videos I was making. But a lot of the people wanted to do more than that. They wanted to collaborate with each other as well as with me. And, and my brother and I thought like, now that's, that's really cool. That's unique. That couldn't have happened five years ago. The, the, the internet, this new technology is facilitating something new. And so we leaned into that and for a number of years we just kind of as a hobby ran this message board and and my brother was a coder and um <clears throat> he sort of built out uh, functionality on top of the message board in PHP and this community and this collaborative process gradually formed and we'd never really spent almost any money on it we certainly didn't have any plan to make money with it um it was just something we were doing for fun and then uh as it was growing, I was talking with my friend Jared, who you mentioned, whose background is actually in producing uh, theater and live events, and we talked about would there be a way to take this collaborative process that's happening in this little online community and do bigger things with it, make, make grander scale productions with it, and we both thought that sounded really, really cool, and uh, so we set about trying to figure it out, and um, we did it in a very kind of do-it-yourself way. We neither of us knew anything about how to properly set up a uh, a tech company or a tech media company or you know a startup. You know, I remember hearing from different people try to set it up so that it can scale and just not even knowing what that meant and honestly not not really caring to to look into what it meant. Um, we just kind of wanted to make these art projects and we did and and we we kind of we we really succeeded in doing what we set out to do we set up a a version of the site that allowed for um the intellectual property we created this unique terms of service we worked with you know lawyers to to uh, figure out kind of how the intellectual property would work and how we could pay people if we were able to make money with the productions and and we did that and and um we made a list back in I think 2008 or 9 of like things that we would hope to accomplish with our new production company. And like things like we could make a whole short film. We could screen a short film at a film festival. We could make enough music to put out a record. We could, you know, self-publish a book. Things like that were on our list. And at the very bottom of the list was maybe one day we'll even be able to um, make enough stuff that we can, we can have a TV show. And, uh,
0: you've done all of them.
1: Now we've done all that. Yeah. In 2013, we, we, we made our TV show. We did two seasons of it. It's called hit record on TV. Uh, and, um, and that's the award you're talking about. We won an Emmy for that TV show, um, for, uh, interactive media. I think it was called, um, the Emmy. <laughs> I forget the, the title of the Emmy actually, which is embarrassing. Um, but yeah, I think, um, social or interactive experience an emmy for that or something like that um but it was it was a real honor to be (laughs) even though i forget the name the long (laughs) name of the the actual award uh the fact that it was an emmy you know the the emmys for if if those of you are listening don't know um the emmys are like in the television world they're like the oscars they're um it's the the television academy of arts and sciences and um or the Academy of Television Arts and Sciences. And so to have our kind of newfangled way of producing things be recognized by such an established institution, um, it meant a lot to us, and it really meant a lot to the community of all these thousands of people who had contributed to our TV show. Well, what's, what's amazing
0: about this contribution is that not only was it a collective win for everyone in the community, but that you guys actually also – share some of the benefits, the financial benefits of success. You, maybe you want to share some of those elements?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it's really important that 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 people get paid. Um, there's sort of a trend, I feel like, um, it's not sort of a trend, there's a massive trend in online culture today that, you know, the saying goes, information wants to be free, or that intellectual property itself doesn't have value. And uh, I think that's A very unhealthy way of thinking about things. Uh, There's a great book about this called "Who Owns the Future" by Jaron Lanier that um, that I think articulates this really, really well. But basically, it's that um, you know, uh, well, Google is probably the biggest example, right? You, if you Google something, you can just get information about anything, any song, any uh, image, any work of journalism or science or anything. You just Google it and you get it for free. And of course, there's something great about that. It's it sounds nice that that's free. But the truth is, it's not for free because there's money being generated in this transaction. It's just that none of the money is going to whoever produced that intellectual property. The money's just going to Google. And I would argue that that's not fair because Google's not the only one who's generating the value. In fact, most of the value in this transaction has been generated by whoever made that IP, not by Google. Google deserves a cut, but they don't deserve all of it. And the notion that whoever generated the IP um, deserves nothing, I think that's actually uh, really short-sighted. And if we continue to believe that that's true, I think we're sort of doomed, and I, when I say I think, I'm really very much echoing again uh, the way um, the the sort of thesis of this book, "Who Owns the Future," um, that that if you're interested in this kind of thing, I highly recommend. Because what what that book says is, as more and more industries become more and more based in software, which they inevitably will, if we consider intellectual property to be just free ones and zeros. Then all of these industries will just go the way of the music industry the music industry was shattered the journalism industry is is getting destroyed um, and if we you know take that a step further uh, say as medicine becomes more and more software based as it certainly will what with you know genetic engineering and you know, they're talking about 3D printing organs and things like that. I mean, I, I, all that stuff is going to happen relatively soon. You probably know better than I. You're you're in the you know tech space more than I am. Um, but if if we if we consider that the software, the intellectual property, free, then where's the incentive to generate that intellectual property? If if you work hard on something to make something, and that something can be expressed in ones and zeros, and once it's expressed in ones and zeros, you don't get to make any money off it anymore. All of the money just goes to Google or Facebook or a few other giant tech companies. Then where's your incentive to be creative? And I'm, I'm not just talking about musicians or journalists. I mean like anybody who's making anything.
0: So would it be fair then to, to say that Hit Record is a place where creatives can come and meet other creatives, share what they're doing with an expectation that others will help make that better than or perhaps include within other works. And then as a consequence of that larger work that is being created collaboratively that and in conjunction with the leadership that you and your experienced team have can drive to like a cumulative success, which all parties can then take financial gain from.
1: That's yeah. That's, that's very well put. That's what we, that's what we're trying to do. And I'm not saying we succeed every time, but, uh, but yeah, that's, that's really, uh, that's what we're trying to do.
0: Excellent. And so what would you say the biggest impediment then is in, in unlocking creativity? I mean, we talked a little bit about sort of intellectual property, but is that really the, the weakest link or is there another, I mean, you know, now that hit record has been playing for a while, you know, to some extent, you probably have visibility on other impediments,
1: Sure. Well, I think for us, our, our biggest impediment, to be honest, is <clears throat> that neither myself nor Jared, who I mentioned, or our other co-founder, Mark, none of us are technical people. Um, I'm from the world of movies. Jared is from the world of theater and live events. Mark's degree is in, is in architecture. He's a graphic designer. Um, and so for us, um, getting the technology right has always been the struggle. And uh, I think we've come a long way, but I, I, I definitely think there's tons of room for improvement of our actual, I guess, but, say, perhaps,
0: but perhaps less on the on the usability of of, of the, the the company. I'm more talking about the larger picture of, of sort of the creative industry and some of the people who you're servicing, because in spite of any sort of self deprecation that you might have about your product, which I think you're being very humble about, um, -hmm. I'm more speaking about the things that hit record is doing to solve, uh, in terms of the creative industry. Is it, most people who have created amazing visual content literally will never have a chance to be in front of a producer and therefore what you're doing is providing visibility on that or is there or is there something else there that, that your your tools are optimizing around
1: yeah i think um and i agree with you the the sort of ux stuff is is relatively small and solvable um i think the biggest if i had to say the the biggest impediment to our approach to making things is something very deeply embedded in our culture. Um, And it goes back to, I was sort of mentioning it a a minute ago when we talked about auteur filmmaking, the notion of the author. Um, We all, as a culture, I think, have a tendency to be possessive and want to be the sole author of the things that we do. Um, The notion of a screenplay written by 200 people sounds weird. It's just like it's counterintuitive at this point. I think in the future, that'll become more and more common. A screenplay written by 200 people or a screenplay written by 20,000 people. Uh, I think eventually that'll come to pass. Now, again, I, I want to emphasize, I don't mean 20,000 people that are just all where it's just a bunch of anarchy. I think if there were 20,000 people, there would have to be an important hierarchy of leadership and there would there would probably have to be an individual or a team of individuals leading that creative process or else nothing useful would get done Um, but uh but uh yeah i i think that um for some people the notion of coming to our site and putting up a piece of whether it's writing or visual art or video or a song and saying like okay now anybody else here Remix it. Go ahead. Do something. Do something else with it. In in our culture, that would be considered sort of piracy. Um, you wouldn't think of that as a means of collaboration. It's just not how we tend to think about things. But but I think eventually we will. I I think that's actually the more natural way. Um, that our notion of of sort of uh, authorship goes back maybe to you could argue kind of the printing press uh where you know the beginning of the publishing industry um whereas before if you uh if you heard a story that story it was normal that like you know you heard a story either like at the tavern or if we go thousands of years before that like gathered around the fire or whatever storytelling was something communal it was something social it was something that it was normal for lots of different people to sort of throw in their two cents and it was normal to get sort of a new version of the story next week that had evolved a bit
0: the, the bonfire the was the original remix table
1: To yeah 100 percent. and and i think there's something very natural about that 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 the internet has the potential to bring us back to um that's not really the trend right now like i said the trend right now online is much more narcissistic than that, hmm.
0: Hmm.
1: but, uh, but I think we, I think we, uh, I think we could get there.
0: Cool. Well, I definitely hope that you're part of that journey. And, um, well, we always like to wrap up with a couple of fun questions and I'm sure that there's other people in the audience like myself that are curious about some elements of, of sort of the movies you've, you've shot. And one of mine is what's the Batcave like?
1: <laughs> uh, the Batcave was pretty dope. Um, Let's see that that. Is it it a real place? It was built on a soundstage. Well, there was. I mean, so uh, as far as (laughs) the exterior was somewhere completely different than the interior. The exterior, we were in the wilderness uh, in Wales. Um, That's around the corner from here. (laughs) From from you, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, And the interior was on a soundstage um, in a uh, actually a, a historic. Uh, studio lot. Um, it's now called the Sony Lot because Sony, however many years ago, bought Columbia Pictures, which was in, but originally <clears throat> this set of studios was the MGM lot um, back in the Golden Age of Hollywood. So this you know, in these same on this same lot of sound stages was where they shot um, the Wizard of Oz amongst lots of other things. Um, and so uh, yeah, the Batcave cave that I was in built on that on that sound stage and uh yeah I, was, I mean what can I say man it was <laughs> <laughs> it was pretty cool
0: pretty cool all right and um you know you've done a lot you've accomplished a lot you've had some of the best roles out there at least by my my appreciation and you've built a company which i mean you couldn't have picked the two industries with the highest most difficulty factor ever both being an entrepreneur and being an actor what's left on your bucket list
1: oh uh, well i'm i'm really interested in um in the sort of interplay between media and education, um, I, I like. I grew up really loving Sesame Street. I was just having a conversation recently, actually, about um, I was talking to someone who is was who was reading the book "Amusing Ourselves to Death" by Neil Postman, um, who is largely talking about how the format of uh, media very heavily defines. The content the form defines the content um, going back to the McLuhan quote the medium is the message uh, and this book "Amusing ourselves to death was written I think in the 80s so he's mostly talking about the rise of television um, but it's really interesting to think about in the context now we're decades later and we're in the age of, of the internet or the early dawn of the internet and Postman was even he was even critical of Sesame Street, and I, I loved Sesame Street. But what he was saying was even Sesame Street is a problem just by virtue of being on television, because television is passive. Someone, you know, a kid sits and watches it. It's it caters to the short of attention span. It doesn't. Uh, it doesn't. It's not conducive to what he calls, you know, type two thinking, uh, critical thinking, longer form thinking that's harder. It's not easy. It's not necessarily, you know, poppy and entertaining. And I wonder about what, you know, the Sesame Street's goal was to try to, um, you know, help educate young kids through popular media. I wonder if there's a version of that now that you know technology has changed that that isn't passive you know that that does encourage more involved longer involved what might be called type two thinking creativity having to think critically about things and having to work with other people um, I, I think that there's I, I don't know exactly how it work, but I, I'm really excited about the notion and, and I think once if and when you know hit record uh is able to really kind of secure its 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 own existence i would love to kind of expand on hit record to to reach out to parents and kids and and have uh you know have a version of it that's designed to like encourage kids to be creative with each other and making stuff and whether it's drawing pictures or telling stories or singing and dancing um and doing it together um and 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 hopefully de-emphasizing the little kind of blippy bloppy short attention span stuff that dominates kids media nowadays and try to encourage, um, you know, longer form creative processes that they can really get into and, and appreciate. Uh, I know that's sort of ambitious perhaps, but, um,
0: well, if, one, if there's one person I think can probably do it in conjunction with Jared and the rest of your team, it's definitely you. So we look, look forward to seeing that. And um, with that, guys, thanks for joining us, Joe. And until next time.
1: Thank you, Carlos.